Hello everyone, I'm Dalton Burdett. I'm Ryan Warner. And we are the Movie Knights. Well, some of them. If you're watching this, it's because you want to hear our uncensored and unfiltered thoughts and opinions about the world of movies. So kick back, grab a snack, and thank you for being a part of the conversation. Off the top of the show, we'd like to take this moment to thank our partners, The Great Movie Radio Show and the Podcast City Network. You can find links to them in the description below. Ryan, how are you, buddy? I'm good, I'm good. Uh, there's very interesting topics oh, to tackle today. I wonder what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, big, almost shattering news. Monumental stuff has been going on. Yeah, and honestly, something's afoot. Something is afoot. And honestly, I'm glad we waited, because the there was one story that broke last week mm. that we debated, like, oh, should we just make like a quick video about it? But I was like, no, 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 let's wait, because more stuff might come out, and more stuff did come out, so... I'm glad we waited. And then stuff that dropped right before we recorded the show as well. Mm -hmm. So naturally, like we do with every show, we're going to kick off the start of it with just what's going on in the entertainment news world. Mm -hmm. um, but before we get into any of the, excuse me, into any of the interesting shit, there's just a story that I need to talk about for my own personal happiness. Okay. And that is uh, anyone who's been watching this show or knows me at all knows I'm a big fan of the Scream franchise. Mm -hmm. I love it dearly in my heart. And... Uh, Courtney Cox is reprising her role as Gail Weathers in Scream 5. Officially, she'll be joining David Arquette, who signed on to reprise the role of Dewey. And Nev Campbell is currently in talks to come back. Mm -hmm. So it's looking like she's going to come back. So it looks like the whole gang is coming back for Scream 5, which is going to be helmed by the Ready or Not filmmakers. I'm very, very excited about this movie. I'm very excited about Courtney Cox being in it. I know you don't have a whole lot to add because you haven't really seen anything mm -hmm. past the first movie. But, um, you know overall thoughts on just you know courtney cox as a performer and um do you think that this could benefit to scream five in general well having only watched the first scream movie uh i think her character dynamic with it was interesting always like poking the bear and like mm -hmm. doing reporter things um as one does just pisses off everyone yeah makes up stories mm. where she can um but past that i don't know what her involvement is with the scream franchise if she is in the other she ones is. okay um but it's always nice to see like an original cast member come back for a sequel whether it's like sequel number three four or in yeah. this case five um but it's it's always nice to see like the gang get back together and hopefully they can all come back together but mm. it, it like you said it's looking like that's gonna happen but uh I don't have as big an opinion on this as like you may have because, like I said, I've only seen the first one, so I, I don't. I'm not in any way connected to this franchise. Mm -hmm. I I think that I really like Courtney Cox as Gail Weathers because, like Courtney Cox, obviously very famous being on Friends. She's very good in that, but I think that her playing Gail is my favorite role that I've seen her in. Mm -hmm. She almost just seems born to play the role. Like this role could have easily been played as like the you know hot girl who's annoying type mm -hmm. scenario. But she plays it with such, like, somehow, like, just realness. Like, so, like it feels like a real person. Like, every time she speaks on screen. And even when the script wasn't always there, she mm -hmm. always sold what was being said. She just completely embodied that character. And it was always just so awesome to see her in that role. In in, in each movie, she kind of adds a different dynamic to it. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, because I don't know anything about this, the screenplay or the story of this new one. But I'm curious as to how she fits into the story because i want to see her utilize well and i don't think she would have signed on if she wasn't going to be so i'm very excited about this yeah i mean i have a different opinion on what you just said mm -hmm. um but again i've only seen the first one so i'm going based just off that fact i think anyone could have played that character to that caliber 
But that's, again, only having watched the first one. So I don't know how much deeper they go with that character. I don't know her involvement with the story as the story goes mm-hmm. on. Going based off the first movie alone, I think anyone could have played that character. Your opinion is bad and you should feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, no, but I see what you mean. Uh, one day for Franchise Spotlight, we'll have to do all the Scream movies. Yeah, absolutely. That would be so fun. And uh, yeah, we'll, we should do that soon. But... Uh, you know, someone will be mad if we don't fucking do X Men next. But uh, <laughs> she's gonna beat me up later. No, Probably. but uh, scream, scream would be really fun to do. But uh, okay, we've put it off for about five minutes or so. Well, do you want to talk about a smaller story real quick, and then talk about the the big well, whammy? Well, we got two big whammies. Which big whammy do you want to do first? Let's do Mulan. Okay, because that news broke today, just like a second ago. Yeah. Um, it has been officially announced, ladies and gentlemen, that Disney's Mulan, which was slated for theaters several times for 2020, will now be debuting on Disney Plus, not just on the service, but for $30. You have to be a member of Disney Plus. I think Plus. it's like 24, $24.99, so not quite 30 but yeah, if you want to round up. And you have to be a Disney Plus subscriber already, plus pay the extra to watch it. It'll be Labor Day weekend, I believe September 4th is when mm, it will come out. I think so. And uh, that is shocking news because while obviously studios would have to shift the type of movies that they'd be releasing mm-hmm. versus on demand versus in theaters had to change when one theater shut down and two, some of the more mid to lower budget movies, you know, they knew they could turn a profit on VOD. Mm-hmm. But something that just seemed to be commonplace amongst everybody was, oh, well, they'll never do it with a blockbuster. They'll never do it with like a big movie. And uh, they are. This was a huge film from both American and Chinese financiers. I want to say the budget is around $250, $300 million movie. Mm-hmm. Like, it is a huge movie. And they're going to be putting it on Disney Plus for the extra added cash, which I think has pluses and minuses, you know. Right now, just from what I'm saying, there's it. a huge split down the middle about how yeah. people feel about well, it. Well, I mean, from a financial perspective, you have to. Mm-hmm. But from a consumer standpoint, I would be... I mean, not me because I'm me and I will watch anything for movies, mm-hmm. but like just, I already know people in our personal life will be like, why do you have Disney plus? Why would I pay extra to watch it? Yeah. And like from a consumer standpoint, I totally get that. But from a studio standpoint, you're taking what was sure to be a billion dollar hit out of theaters and putting it on, you know, on a demand service. Yeah. So I think which, either way they see it, if they keep pushing it back for a theater release or just mm-hmm. take their losses while they can and just put it on Disney plus, I think that they really ran the numbers, and from what they could tell, they have potential to make more money on Disney Plus rather than just keep delaying it, keep delaying it, keep delaying it. I don't know how, it. though. I don't Me know either, how. but like, think about it. With the state right now that everything's in, who knows? Like, yeah, I know. I mean, like, I I feel like there's extra pressures with Mulan specifically because Bob Chapek, this new CEO of Disney, did come out and say, "Hey, this isn't what we have planned for all of our current theatrical slated movies. This is just." a one-and-done thing that mm-hmm. we are going to do. So I don't know if maybe China was pressuring. Like, I don't know the story behind it, but it. this was for sure going to be a billion-dollar movie, especially after Aladdin got a billion dollars. Well, yeah, all the Disney live-action like, ones have made a billion dollars. You have Jungle Book, yeah, Lion and, King. And the marketing for this was solid, and the fact that they had the you know a bunch of you know Chinese audiences were excited. It was going to be a huge theatrical movie and make tons of profit, and I just don't see how it'll be profitable. Not, not only do I not see how it'll be profitable, this is the only movie 
now that it's going on Disney Plus, this is the only time that I've been alive where I hope a movie fails. I hope that they put it on Disney Plus and it does horribly because if they put this, well, they are putting on Disney Plus, but if this drops on September 4th and it does absolute gangbusters money, movie theaters are in big trouble mm-hmm. because other studios are going to follow suit and try to put their big blockbusters on an on-demand service. Which is a shame because this could be like a like if it makes stupid money, like stupid good money. Mm-hmm. And every other studio follows suit. All those other movies could make shit dollars because maybe it was just like a one-time thing, you know? Yeah. And also, it's just... Even if it makes good money, it would have to make like close to the profits it could have made in theaters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we did the math a little bit before the show started. Very little math. Yeah. And and with with the budget and the proposed marketing budget of Mulan, it would have to make around 650 million to break even Mm -hmm. and i don't i don't see it happening especially because you have people who are just going to be pissed that they have to pay for it and pay for disney plus Mm -hmm. you have people who are going to buy it and then invite a bunch of friends over to watch it which i think we're even going to do yeah and you're going to have some people and like it's going to do it's going to make money but i don't I, i don't i think you're missing out on so much revenue from not putting it in theaters and, like, I don't know if there was talk with the theaters before they made this move, but, like, the, the exhibitors cannot be happy about this. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm curious as to what's going to go down. Because, like, you'd think the first thing that they moved was uh, New Mutants, but apparently with contracts with Fox, like, that movie has to get a theatrical release. Mm-hmm. Thank God. But, uh... Whenever that may happen. Yeah. A new spot came out today. With August 28th. With August 28th yeah. as its slated uh, opening, you know, so... Yeah. We'll see how that goes, but it's it's like you. I don't want any movie to fail, but if a movie were to fail, it would have to be this one. Yeah, because you also like it's a big blow to movie theaters if this film makes yeah. close to the revenue it would have made in theaters. Which yeah, I don't think it will, but if it does, big big trouble time for movie theaters. Absolutely, and it's just it, I'm curious to know if it's going to be like a 48 hour rental thing because you have to rent it from Disney Plus. You cannot buy it. Yeah. So it's a rental fee. Mm-hmm. So is the rental fee going to be like every other rental fee where you have like 48 hours to watch it? You have 24 hours. You have 12 hours. If it is a 48 hour rental thing, I think those numbers, what we, the little calculations we did, I think that is going to take a nosedive down. Mm -hmm. But if it's a one-time rental thing, once you watch it, you're done. You have to rent it again to watch it. I think we could see them make some sort of money, whether they just break even or, you know, skyrocket through the roof. Like, we don't know. See, I I disagree. I think if you do it where once you watch it, you have to rent it again, like, people aren't going to watch it again. It's Especially with these times and people not, Mm -hmm. our people are out of work. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it, this but but is, but, this, but that's this. but that's what I mean. Like if if you have forty eight hours to rent it, maybe you rent it and you're like, wow, this movie's good. Like, hey, all you guys come over and like we'll we'll have a watch party because I need you guys to watch this movie. Then you have a second viewing of it within that forty eight hours, and you're not going to make any money off that second watch. Where it's like if you go to the movies, obviously you have to buy a ticket to go mm-hmm. that, to that second screening. Because I've known people where they go to the movie and they'll spend all day there watching the same movie. Yeah, but like. The theatrical experience, though, paying for that is not the same as paying to watch a movie at home more than once. Like, I'll watch a DVD on repeat or a 4K on repeat, mm-hmm. but if you want me to pay to watch a movie at my house, I'm not going to watch it again 
even if I really like it. Yeah. Like, I really liked King of Staten Island. I paid to see that. I'm not going to pay to watch it again until mm-hmm. it's like on a release where I own it. Yeah, you that's know? a fair statement. Like, it's it's just weird. Like, or with movie theaters, like paying to see the same movie more than once, you're not just paying to see the movie, you're paying for that experience. Yeah. And like, you, there's no experience watching it at home. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's just consuming the product. And I don't know. It just seems it seems like an off move, but this is going to be a huge experiment. Yeah. For this kind of thing, and I honestly hope it fails. And I hate to say that. I know a lot of people. I don't know them personally, but like I know that tons of people worked on this movie, and they expected a theatrical release, and, and they you know wanted to be successful. I get that, hmm. but just as someone who likes movie theaters. I hope that these numbers aren't flattering so that they have to reconsider ever doing that again. I know they, they say they don't plan on it, but money talks. If this thing does bonkers, they're going to start shifting stuff around and it's going to scare me. Yeah, it absolutely will. But this kind of ties into the next story, the big story. The big boy story. That we have. Oh, and how does it tie in, Dalton? Boy. Some of you may recall a while ago I released a video talking about this feud between AMC Theaters and Universal Pictures, and how Universal Pictures and AMC Theaters were arguing because Universal said, we're going to start releasing movies on PVOD and the movie theater, and AMC was like, no, 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 you're going to respect the 90-day theatrical window, or that's not going to happen. And they were the only ones that really came out and put their foot down. Yeah, Regal and Cineworld followed suit saying things like that, but they kind of came out the gate, and they were the most in debt, like they were in the most likely to go under and which this they, is before like anything yeah, hit the th- this, world this is before like um they recently got a new debt plan and got a bunch of you know new liquidity like this is before they kind of got saved in order to like run Function, for a yeah. year like they were in serious trouble of going under when they made this statement so it was like a baller move mm-hmm. well they went from a baller move to a bitch move and uh real quick real quick and it's god i'm just trying not to so pretty much, this is what has happened. Universal and AMC Theaters has made a deal to shorten the theatrical window from 90 days to 17. 17 days. And then Universal can decide if they want to pull their movie and put it on PVOD or keep it in the theaters if it's making money. AMC has agreed to do that now it should be noted amc is also with that agreement has agreed they're going to make an undisclosed amount of the pvod sales Mm -hmm. so i think that's what got them to do it is because now they're getting paid i don't know how much they're getting paid but enough for them to say yes. enough for them to say yes which would backfire hilariously if the pvod thing doesn't work out which also is it going to be like that 17 days then it goes to on demand or does it it's a, it's or is it like movie by movie decided by universal that because see that's so odd because if they shortened the theatrical for to 17 days but after that made whatever money for the 90 days then that still wouldn't make sense for amc to sign on but and it's like is the it longer or? the longer a movie is in theaters the more money the theater makes off of it correct because and, and now they're they're subsidizing that for the percentage of the pvod sales mm-hmm. And like, and part of like the the reason behind it is like, yes, normally in a movie's first seventeen days, that's when it's going to make its most amount of money. Mm-hmm. Yes. However, 
That's with the audience knowing they have to wait at least 90 days to see it at home. Now, the audience is well fucking aware that they only have to wait 17 days for select movies. Which means they're probably just going to wait it out and not go. Yeah. And even if a movie like Fast and Furious comes out, that's obviously going to be in theaters longer than 17 days. But people might be like, I don't know, I'll wait, we'll see. People Mm -hmm. are going to not go as much. And what... Okay. You're really passionate about this. I am. Universal... Genius business move, this strategy, horrible way they went about it. Because they went about it like this. Instead of going directly to NATO, which under it has AMC, Regal, Cinemark, a bunch of independent theaters, smaller theaters. It's the National Association of Theater Organizations. Yeah, the National Association of Theater Owners or North American Theater Owners. Okay. Not the treaty thing, like the real NATO. Um, instead of going directly to them to negotiate this deal, which would then trickle down to all of the theaters, they went to the wounded gazelle. They went to the theater that needed the financial help the most. Mm-hmm. They went to the one that was dying and made a deal. And sort of out of desperation, AMC agreed, despite their baller move earlier in the year. Now, what fascinates me about this is you now have Regal and Cinemark, who have come out since this has happened, saying... We're not doing that with Universal Pictures. Mm-hmm. So now, because if AMC or if Regal and Cinemark did agree, then you'd have Disney and Fox start coming up and like making these deals with these studios. But, yeah. he, but here's the weird thing. A- AMC made this deal with Universal. So Universal now has to make this same deal with Regal and Cinemark or else Regal and Cinemark are not going to show Universal movies. Nope. Because think about it. If with AMC, we're going to put it in an... Like, Universal's going to put their movie in an AMC theater, and after 17 days, they're going to potentially pull it and put it on PVOD. Mm-hmm. Well, if it's also playing in Regal and Cinemark theaters, and then one day they look and they have showtimes for a movie, and it's on Amazon Prime, they're going to pull that movie out of the theater. Yep. Why would they do that? That makes no business sense. Speaking of making no business sense, Cineworld CEO, who Cineworld owns Regal Theaters, was quoted in Deadline saying... We don't see any business sense in this model. And went on to say, We clearly see this as a wrong move at the wrong time. Clearly we are not changing our policy with regards to showing only movies that are respecting the theatrical window. And you even have Cinemark's Mark Zerati saying, We have publicly stated that we're willing to have conversations with our studio partners to evolve with them. We are mindful that an overly exaggerated, or I'm sorry, an overly aggressive shortened theatrical window could have an adverse impact on a film's mid to tail end of a film's life. So clearly, AMC's on, on their own here, mm-hmm. which is good news because now Universal can't pull their films after 17 days or else they're going to be only exclusively playing it in AMC theaters, mm-hmm. which would also be a mistake, by the way. You need those extra markets. but the thing And you're that, not going to make a billion dollars only exclusively having your movie in one theater chain. Yeah. Well, like, well, the thing is, AMC is the biggest theater chain in the world, but they don't dominate every region. Correct. There are some entire like string of states that probably don't have an AMC theater. Mm-hmm. And they just have Regal or Cinemark. But here's the thing that or, really... Or some other third party. And here's, like, and here's the thing that pisses me off about this deal. You're going to see independent theaters go out of business. Mm-hmm. Because, let's say, worst case scenario... Um, all of the theater chains eventually agree to do this, mm-hmm. and then you get other studios participating in the same way. Well, then the independent theaters aren't going to survive because the people in the small towns are going to wait to see the movies when they come at home. Mm-hmm. They're not going to go out to their independent theaters, and, the, and, and those theaters are going to go under. Or even if 
Universal does the really dumb move of just exclusively playing at AMC locations. Eventually, independent theaters are going to go out of business mm-hmm. because then people are no longer going to those theaters because they won't be playing Universal Pictures, yeah. especially their bigger properties like Halloween, Fantastic Beasts, Fast and Furious. Like, This is just bad news all around. If, if, if I was an independent theater owner, I would be pissing my pants with fear right now. Mm-hmm. It's super, super horrible. This is like, I agree with the Cineworld CEO. This doesn't make any business sense no. whatsoever. And, and here's the thing. I could understand shortening the theatrical window, especially in COVID times. Like if, like if they'd come out and said, like, especially with NATO, I wish that they did, they weren't scummy and went straight to NATO and not just that dying gazelle of AMC. Yeah. But if they went straight to NATO and they were like, hey, we've made a decision that for, you know, the next couple of years because of, you know, this, you know, pandemic, we've shortened the theatrical window from 90 days to 45 days or even even 30, even a month. Because mm-hmm. that's still a period of time where if you wanted to see a movie theatrically, you had enough time to go do it before it was decided for you if it was going to be pushed off or not. Mm-hmm. And something that I think Universal also isn't considering is there are some, it's rare, but there are some occasions where movies don't make a whole lot of money in their opening weekend or in, or their, in first their first 17, 17 days, days and then go on to make a whole lot of money. Uh, Dan Merle just released a great video talking about this. And he brings up movies like Green Book, which was a universal movie, who didn't make a whole lot of money in its first 17 days and then made more as its Oscar nominations came out. Mm-hmm. And then you have movies, this isn't a universal movie, but movies like The Greatest Showman, mm-hmm. which opened pretty low, but actually increase in box office each weekend for like several weekends. Mm-hmm. And if that was underperforming under Universal after 17 days, they would have pulled it and missed out on all of that profit. And like, what is the deciding factor on when to pull a movie? Like when you take How it's it, performing. Like when you look at Avatar, that movie sure didn't make stupid money every weekend, but it made the same money every week. It only opened to like, I think, $70 million. Yeah, so at that point, are you like, yeah. ah, this movie's not going to make any money after 17 days. Let's pull it. Mm-hmm. But like, what is the deciding factor in them pulling it? Like, is it. It's going to be how it's performing. Which, like, I understand which makes that. makes sense. But at the same time, how do you. How do you know a movie isn't going to make a billion dollars over the course of 42 weeks? That that, and you also don't know. Now that the public knows that all they have to do is wait 17 days. They're going to wait. They're going to wait. And you're going to see those, those opening 17-day numbers, the numbers that are usually the biggest of a movie's entire run. Mm-hmm. Overwhelming majority of the time, most movies make their money in the first 17 days. You're going to see that average number drop, yeah, because people are going to just going to wait. And like the it was Cineworld CEO who said it's not a business, yeah, it's smart, not a smart business standpoint. Because yeah. I don't know if everyone knows this, but movie theaters only make money on popcorn sales and like soda yeah. sales. They, like they make a very, very it's like a third, yeah, of what yeah. they make a third of what ticket sales are, yeah, yeah. But because most of that movie goes to the studios. Mm-hmm. That's why popcorn, soda, candy is so expensive. That's and you're why... going to see it be more expensive if this shit keeps happening. Exactly, yeah. And which means pe- more more and more people are going to smuggle in their own food and means people are going to be li- buying less and less of the th- uh, theater food. And it's just, it's a shame. It doesn't make any sense because after 17 days, you pull that movie. It, it doesn't even, does it have to be 17 days? Could they pull it after like a week? No, no, it has to be at least 17 days. Okay. That just... That doesn't make any sense because, again, how do you know a movie's not going to make even, $2 billion over the course of 42 weeks? Even, even, like, but even recent examples, like movies like Get Out. Like when I worked in the box office, when I worked or at a movie theater, Get Out came out in February. Mm-hmm. I didn't see it until April because we kept selling out of Get Out. Yeah. 
And then I was like, all right, I have to go see it if it's April and I'm still selling tickets. Because, like, I worked, so I would constantly sell tickets to get out. And, like, for months. Mm-hmm. And I'd go. And, you know, that movie was in theaters for longer than 90 days because it was performing well. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it, it made a lot of money for its low budget. But when it first opened and stuff, like, it opened decently. But that was a movie that made money gradually as it went. It would only drop like 25% each weekend and mm-hmm. would keep making money. I feel like maybe that would have also been a movie that could have been pulled too early. Like you're going to have movies like that. And then you're going to have people who are going to be waiting to watch them at home and then do what we talked about earlier with Mulan, invite a bunch of their friends over to watch said movie. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be losing out on each individual purchase. I just don't see why Universal is specifically shortening the theatrical window. Now, I understand changes have to be made, especially in this time. And I I like the decision that people are now looking at their mid-budget movies and saying, this could probably perform better on streaming. I totally understand that. Mm -hmm. But this, I just see nothing but bad news for movie theaters coming out of this. Yeah. And this is random. I really want to know what Steven Spielberg thinks of this. Mm -hmm. Reason being is because he... the way he like, I'm sure whenever he walks into a universal he hates office, streaming services. Well, and that when I'm sure when he walks into a universal office, he kicks off his shoes like he owns the place because that's pretty much Universal's been around since like the classic monsters. But like in the 70s, like he kind of ran with that company and like he's been always loyal to Universal for many many years. All his movies are Universal movies, and like his theatrical, he loves, he really cherishes the theatrical experience. So I'm very curious. I want someone to reach out to him, like some rep- like film news reporter, mm-hmm. and be like, so what do you think of Universal's decision? And just hear what he has to say. But um, but also, there's one thing I want to do before we move on. Okay. To Mark Zorati, the CEO of Cinemark. <clears throat> I owe you an apology. I've talked a lot of shit about you in these past few years. <laughs> Great move. By defending the theatrical experience. Amazing, amazing baller move. Really proud that that happened. Because I was worried. Because until a few days ago when Cinemark hadn't said anything, I was worried that they were going to agree with AMC. And I'm very happy to see that they don't. Mm -hmm. And I'm also happy to see that he said, like, we're willing to have conversations about changing things, but this is not the way to change it. Yeah. And uh, so thank you for doing that. And please hire me back. But, you know, we'll talk about that some other time. Sir, yeah, just <laughs> no, give but, him a good uh, ring. Yeah, yeah, just call my buddy Mark. <laughs> Jesus, no, but uh, but moving on to our next thing, mm-hmm. this is the section of the show called Franchise Spotlight, where we break down a franchise movie by movie. And sometimes, if there's a lot of movie in said franchise, we'll break it up into bits. Last week, we did Harry Potter, but we did the first three films. The Sorcerer's Stone, Chamber of Secrets, and Prisoner of Azkaban. And this time we're doing The Goblet of Fire, The Order of the Phoenix, and The Half-Blood Prince. Ryan. Yes. I'll let you start and take it away with Harry Potter and The Goblet of Fire. What were your thoughts on this film? Uh, I will say the most exciting thing about this movie was definitely The Trials, which is like the main point of the movie. However, the biggest problem I had with it is in fact The Trials themselves. Okay. It's the greatest thing, but it's also the thing that really took me out of the movie. And I say that because when Dumbledore explains to all the contestants, all, all the all the contenders, uh, the four of them, that, hey, this Triwizard contest, it's some serious stuff. Like, you could die. It has some serious consequences. 
while they go through the trials, like they go to the uh, underwater one where they have to like rescue their person, those like sirens come out and like try mm-hmm. to stop them and whatever. It's like, wow, they could they could actually die from this if they don't achieve their goal. But when you get to the last trial, the one in the maze, and the bush starts like eating them and the one guy gets possessed it's like wow these kids are just like they're done they're kaput Mm -hmm. and then when harry comes back at the end after seeing uh voldemort they're all there just fine and yes harry did send up the the flare Mm -hmm. to save them however don't set up a standard like you could die if this isn't done properly or if you stray too off the uh, if you stray off the beaten path like you this you could die there's some serious consequences with this but then they're all fine that was my biggest problem Except with it. Cedric Dickory who got <laughs> fucked wait but it wasn't even the trials yeah no the trials didn't kill it was him. it was Voldemort that killed yeah, him yeah so it's like don't say don't put an expectation out there if, mm-hmm. if the movie is not going to follow through now if the maze would have just been like off in these kids like mm-hmm. with taking them in and possessing the one guy a lot of stakes at the end of the movie then exactly mm-hmm. and it's like holy shit like this is some serious stuff do not mess around with the triwizard co- the mm-hmm. triwizard competition but as soon as I saw that they were all fine at the end, I was like, this movie just sank for me. Damn, okay. Um, I While that aspect of the movie did bother me, I don't think it quite bothered me as much. Okay. Um, I do think it'd be... I'm just a, a slut for good visual storytelling. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been better if it's, instead of Dumbledore saying, like, you could die if they did the first tournament and a kid got fucked. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh, that kid just died. And then have them kind of like show the audience like, yeah, you could die doing this. Yeah. Because then you don't have to kill anybody the rest of the time as long as you make people think that they could die. Yeah. And, and it, you could easily do that. The first challenge was with the dragons. Yeah. These are 17-year-old kids going after <laughs> dragons. And yeah. they're in school still. It's like, holy yeah. shit. Like, some serious stuff could happen. Yeah. Um, I... It didn't quite bother me as, as much as you, but it, that that aspect does bother me, especially just because it, it was kind of told and not shown to us. Mm-hmm. But um, I really, really like Oblet of Fire. I don't think it's quite as good as Prisoner of Azkaban, mm-hmm. but I do think it's better than the first two. And I think that it is a really strong contender in the franchise. I like that it's different from the franchise and that like it kind of was like, you know, the first two were just like the magic of the Wizarding World. The third one was a more personal story and it mm-hmm. was darker. And this one was like, okay, let's ex- broaden the world and make it about a competition while also throwing in dashes of the larger lore. Yeah, because Espe- it's other schools that are yeah. involved with that. And especially at the very, very end, that scene with Voldemort and Peter Pettigrew. Like, I remember, like, that was like a... Because at that time when I'd seen the movies, I knew nothing about the books. So the fact that just like very randomly, suddenly, it worked. Mm-hmm. But suddenly in this movie... When you weren't expecting it, because it kind of the story doesn't make you think that it kind of makes you think like, oh, this is like a filler movie without Voldemort, and then bam, there he is at the end facing off with Harry Potter, and you're like, oh, oh shit! Like when you first watch it, you're like, this just happened, oh my god! Yeah, and like that, I remember first seeing that and just being like, it's happening, like everything's happening right now, and um, that and it leads into the fifth movie, well, in the story of that, but um, I really like the movie, I like the um. There's some kind of like angsty teen stuff that's a bit annoying, mm-hmm. but you know the movies are growing up the audience. They're trying to deal with like you know puberty and things like that while also being this magic wizard movie. So like I get it, and some of it worked well, but some of it didn't like uh, 
I like the humor around the dance. I didn't like when they tried to do the drama around the dance. Yeah. Does that make sense? And Especially um, with Hermione and uh, Ron. Yeah. God. But, uh, but I thought a lot of the humor surrounding Like, I love when the twins are just like, do you want to go to the ball with me? And they were like, yeah. And they're like, see, it's that easy. Yeah. Like, I, I love that stuff. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I thought the CGI was killer. Like, I remember being really fascinated by it when I first saw it, and a lot of it still holds up. Like, the dragons look great. Mm-hmm. Everything still looks great, especially for they had some rough CGI in the first two movies. But, like, at this point in the franchise, it was just like, bam, it's a visually stunning movie. Which is um, nuts because this movie came out in 2005. Yeah, and, like, and it still looks pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, no, I thoroughly enjoy Goblet of Fire, although I do think it was a step down from... Yeah. Prisoner of Azkaban. And also another thing that bothered me yeah, was ahead. Ron. Okay. Like, he was upset with Harry because Harry's name got pulled from the Goblet of Fire. And Harry's like, I have no fucking idea why my name was in there. Like, I can't mm-hmm. go in there because Dumbledore had a spell around it. And Ron is somehow mad at him because he knew how much this mm-hmm. Triwizard contest meant to Ron. But Ron couldn't be in it as well. And he's like, you should have told me. And Harry's like, I'm fucking telling you, dude. I don't know how my name got put in there. It's like, why, why, why are you... Dis- why, why, do you, why do you have distrust towards Harry? Like what? Like it? It felt so left field, and it felt like that that conflict was really? forced. No, see, it felt natural to me because I what, what I kind of got one of the aspects of the drama that worked for me was the idea of jealousy, especially mm-hmm. when they're supposed to be like fourteen, I think, in the movie fifteen, mm-hmm. and like the the concept of the, him being jealous over Harry. Especially because Harry, it, these things kind of seem to be stumbling in his lap, like, and he's like this chosen one, great kid, mm-hmm. and Ron just kind of keeps getting fucked, and I and I think that that jealousy is why he was lashing out against him. It would work better if Ron was of age and we saw him put his name in the goblet. Maybe, but that's I, the only way I see the jealousy working no, properly. No, no, see the, the, the to me because like what does he have, what does he have to get jealous of? He can't put his name in, so he could never get chosen. Yeah, but but at the same time, I, I think that part of him thinks that Harry is lying and mm-hmm. that he's constantly putting himself in the spotlight and that he thought that, okay, he wouldn't do this in this particular scenario because he knows how important this is to me. And then when it still happened, that's when he was just like, what the fuck, dude? And, yeah. you know, you can say, oh, I didn't know as many times as you want. But when you're in high school, like I remember dumb shit in high school happening all the time. Like, did you, oh God, do you remember this fucking annoying ass, like, people like, did you vote for me for prom court and blah, 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 like, yeah. all that stuff? So, like, I bought that, personally. I know it didn't work for you, but that, the aspect of the movie actually worked pretty well for me. Okay. And the reason I bought that was just because of, you know, going through high school experiences like that and just seeing how, you know, the internal jealousy, because Ron's also a character who, in The Prisoner of Man, he got some better stuff to do, and in this movie, but it's kind of been the punching bag for a while, and I think this was his way of kind of being like, I'm fucking sick of being treated like the punching bag, and that was kind of his way of dealing with that. And okay. he also lashes out at Hermione as well. It's not just Harry. He's just kind mm. of lashing out in this film. But, but uh, see, I just feel like that came out of nowhere for me. I see, it, it worked for me. Yeah, okay. It worked okay, for that's me. Fair. But yeah, but yeah. Um, next we have... Order of the Phoenix. Order of the Phoenix. Go ahead, take it off. Um, I really, really like this movie. I think that so far in the franchise, this is right behind Prisoner of Azkaban for me. Wow, okay. Really, really like Order of the Phoenix. Um, now, I know that there's some con- like controversy because it's the longest book, mm-hmm. but and they cut a lot out, but like we mentioned before, I don't care. Yeah. Um, I thought that the story worked really well. I, it, you finally kind of see Harry naturally take this leadership position that he's mm-hmm. supposed to be destined to have. Um, you get Gary Oldman as Sirius Black again, and unfortunately you get that really, really sad death with him and i felt that death when he died like that was very such a sad moment yeah but i also like the ministry of magic not not wanting to believe that voldemort is back with harry and dumbledore mm-hmm. 
and because uh, it's kind of reminiscent of shit happening today. But just like just seeing like part of it is they just want things to be easier and it's easier if it's not real. And part of it is they're just so fucking terrified of that being the truth. They're just like, please, God, don't let that be true. Yeah. And there's obviously some corruption going on there. And um, I forget which movie she's introduced, but Be- Bellatrix Lestrange played by she was... Carter. Was she th- Prisoner of Azkaban? Did she come in? No. Or where was it this one? It was this one. Yeah. Because they broke her out of prison. Yeah. And that's the first time we she saw her. She is great in this movie. Mm-hmm. And she's horrifying and, you know, just she's such like an out there performer. And yeah. I think she did it very well. Um, I love the action scenes in this movie, especially in the third act when shit starts to hit the fan. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the first movie that David Yates directed and he would direct them all the way through to the end from five. Including Fantastic Beasts? Um, yes. And I think that it was just a really new, unique perspective. This felt the most identifying to a filmmaking style and type since Prisoner of Azkaban with Alfonso Cuaron. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. So it was very, very interesting to see. Um, I like the idea of the room of requirement and, you know, like when the idea is like when you need something badly enough, it will appear to you and help you out. And I like him training. I like him learning more about his past and you get some more stuff with Alan Rickman and Snape as well. Um, Really, really thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Mm -hmm. I thought it was very big on character, on emotion, and it stepped up its action sequence, especially Dumbledore versus Voldemort at the end was bitchin'. Uh, really like Order of the Phoenix. Um, I can't really think of any major positives, or I'm sorry, major negatives off the top of my head. Your thoughts? That's good. <laughs> um, Here I am, like, sucking its dick in the Ryan's yeah. like, it's okay. <laughs> I, my biggest negative was the fact, because I watched these movies back to back, and when you watch Goblet of Fire, and Harry comes back with Cedric, and mm-hmm. he's dead, and everyone else got out of the maze and they were fine. Mm-hmm. It's like, how the hell did he die? Like, Harry's like, oh, Voldemort killed him. Like, Voldemort's back. Every, it strikes fear in everyone. Mm-hmm. And then I immediately popped on Order of Phoenix. And everyone's like, ah, Harry, you're a fucking liar. I don't believe <laughs> you. It's like, literally, like, two days ago, you believed him. And, like, I understand that the Ministry of Magic was corrupted. And mm-hmm. they were, like, trying to, like brushed under the rug for as much as they or for as long as they could Mm -hmm. but it's just like i feel like that again the distrust for harry came out of nowhere like i get that he's like a high school kid and like ah whatever like i'll believe him when if i choose to believe him whatever like he's not credited he's not a credited person but it just it felt like that this distrust for harry came out of nowhere and that bothers me to no end because it's like he everyone knows that he's the chosen one he defeated voldemort as a kid voldemort mm-hmm. couldn't kill him and that's the reason he wasn't around mm-hmm. so why how is this how are people not trusting him on this scale what has he personally done to bring on the distrust that happen that keeps happening that's my biggest gripe with it and that was my biggest gripe with order phoenix and ron's character because he just can't he doesn't trust him but it's mm-hmm. like you've been his friend for two years three years now it's like you should know him i understand the frustration but for me it didn't really come across as frustration or or on like a non-compliance with harry Mm -hmm. it was more of a telling on the rise of evil the rise of voldemort is only possible due to people not believing it's happening Mm -hmm. or to the fact of them wanting to like not think about it or put it aside Mm -hmm. and i think that voldemort wouldn't be able to rise without the ministry of magic blissfully ignoring it or Mm -hmm. being corrupt in that way so I think just from a storytelling perspective, mm-hmm. that's something that has to happen. And I think a lot of it comes from um, 
Harry's parents, there's still a lot of, you know, questions about what happened. Because, like, while as, you know, the audience, we know the story is true, in that world, a lot of people combat that story. A lot of people are like, is that what happened? And, you know, in Harry Potter and Goblet of Fire and a little bit more in this movie, mm-hmm. you learn more about Harry Potter's father and how he was kind of a dickhead. So you still have, like, a legacy of, like, well, I remember, like, if he wasn't a really good person, maybe this kid is just full of shit. And they touch on it briefly. They don't, uh, we're, to give you credit, they don't dive deep into that. Mm-hmm. But to me, watching the movies, it touches upon them enough to where I would understand why people don't want to believe Harry, not necessarily why they don't believe Harry. Because I, I think some of the characters do believe him, but they just so badly don't want to believe him because of what that would mean if Voldemort was back that they choose not to. But then what about Dumbledore? Like, what is Dumbledore? Like, he's supposed to be this, like, high-esteemed professor Mm -hmm. that runs the most prestigious school in the world of Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. So it's like, why don't people trust him? Like, I get, like... that. I think that's where the corruption part comes into it. Because Ah. someone's in power trying to tell you one thing, and then the Ministry of Magic, who rules all of the wizarding world, they're like... Nah. Yeah. Okay. I think that's where the corruption comes into it, and just the desire for it, them not to want to be true is where it comes directly at Harry. Okay. And you know, it's also it's also just like a underlying theme of control of be- the media controlling the narrative, mm-hmm. and I think this is just the Harry Potter version of that. And oh my God, how bad do you just want to punch Dolores Umbridge in the fucking face? I mean, perfectly acted perfectly executed character like we're supposed to hate that character and, and they did such a great job making that happen because yeah. oh my god what a bitch like, i could not movie. wait for that movie to be over just because i could not fucking stand <laughs> you just want to see horrible awful things happen to her and it's just like god it's i awful. hope everyone kills her I hope everyone gets a lick the most annoying thing ever was when something would happen and it would cut to that one guy hanging a new rule on the fucking wall <laughs> i love that i thought that was such Ugh. a funny montage god. it was so good <laughs> Shit was uh, stupid. No, I love that. I thought that was great. That was great top tier filmmaking. Yeah, but let's get on to a good movie for once. Eh. Eh. Harry Potter. We're, we're and having a Half lot of dis- we're having a lot of disagreements on I know. Harry Potter. It's very exciting. This hasn't happened. I know. It's it's been a while. Yeah. It's been a while since this happened. But uh Half Blood Prince. Fucking what a great movie. It's okay. Holy shit. I'll, I'll, I'll let you go first. Wow. This has so much that it just unravels about Harry's backstory and, like, what he believes to be true. Because I think that this is the movie where Snape tries to, like, get Harry to not let Voldemort into his head. Because Harry sees the visions that Voldemort's actually doing, Mm -hmm. where it was either this one or the previous one. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is one where Snape is like, all right, we're going to cut this shit out right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they find out about the um, what are they called? The hex? It's the hexes. Yeah, the hor the horcruxes. The the horcruxes. Yeah, mm-hmm. where you know they need to destroy them to beat Voldemort, mm-hmm. and it's just so like, holy shit! There's so much that we find out story wise about Harry Potter, his backstory, and Gra- the- great scenes of just Daniel Radcliffe and Alan Rickman. Back es- just going at it, yeah. Especially at the end, yeah. Like whenever they off Dumbledore, Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. and and um, what, I will say, what a feeling of hopelessness. Especially like if you're a fan of those movies and you don't know anything about the books. And like, like Harry was watching the whole thing from above him. My mm-hmm. favorite part of the whole movie. He was mm-hmm. watching the whole thing with uh, Draco Malfoy 
holding mm-hmm. Dumbledore at wand point, and Snape comes up and he's like, "Shh, like I'll mm-hmm. I'll handle the situation." Yeah. He goes up there and kills Dumbledore, and Harry's yeah. like, "Are you fucking <laughs> kidding me? Like I could have stepped in and saved him, yeah, and you just yeah. went up there." Yeah. what I thought you were going to do and you just killed him mm-hmm. and then he goes after him and tries to use a spell on him that the Half-Blood Prince did and you find out it's Snape and I was like holy fuck and he's like don't use my spells against me and I was like who the fuck is Snape like you yeah. find out so much about him and this mm-hmm. is the movie actually where you find out that Daniel Radcliffe's dad's an asshole okay it was this movie okay. yeah because yeah. um, because he's like because Harry's like oh my father's not a dick yeah. like take yeah. that back and he's like oh yeah let me show you something mm-hmm. he taps into snape's mind and sees that his dad actually bullied snape and you also kind of start to get the little idea or maybe this was deathly hollows part one but of like snape had a crush on harry's mom oh I that's think... news to me oh shit but uh but you <laughs> oh kinda, but like not only was you go to find out not only was snape bullied really bad by james potter but it killed him more because the person who bullied him was falling in love with the person that he was falling in love with. That's definitely Hallows too, then, because that's the only one I haven't watched yet. Oops! Oh, oh but, fuck! Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we'll get there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, keep keep going. Yeah. I'll shut I up. mean, <laughs> I, honestly, like, after you watch them all, they just kind of blend in together, especially in their mm-hmm. adult years. Yeah, because that, that's starting to happen with me. Yeah. yeah. Like, in their adult years, they all kind of blend together, mm-hmm. but... Especially when you go back, 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 back. Yeah. Yes, exactly. But Half-Blood Prince is by far, I would say... I would honestly say this is the best one so far that okay. I've seen. And that is putting Azkaban down mm-hmm. one. And you know how much I love Azkaban after mm-hmm. watching it. But, um, God, this movie is fantastic. But I'll, I'll, I'll finish talking about it. You, f- you find out a lot about Snape. And, my yeah. God, I have no fucking idea if Snape is good or bad. And, holy shit. Well, you killed it's Dumbledore. Nuts. It's fucking nuts. Um, but one thing I... Uh, positive i i like every harry potter movie so when i say like it's not that good it's not like actually not that good compared to the other ones but one thing a positive i want to add is i love draco malfoy not being able to kill dumbledore Mm -hmm. for some reason because like yeah he's a dick to harry potter and he's like a bully but there's a difference between a bully and a murderer Mm -hmm. and like i love that moment where he just can't do it Mm because it's just like yeah he's an asshole but i think deep down He's not a horrible person. And that's like the first time you kind of get that about him. Mm-hmm. I love that little moment. But uh, no, I, I think that this is the third worst Harry Potter movie. Like two, then one, then this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I like this movie a lot. But I think this is suffers from the Rogue One effect of the ending is fucking fantastic. And the rest of it is okay. Um. I don't like the journey that Harry and Dumbledore go on in this movie where, you know, I must drink it all. Don't let me not drink the whole thing. God, I fucking think that's so dumb. I'm so sorry. (laughs) But like, it's something you see all the time in movies and I just thought it was stupid and silly. And like, I enjoy the performances, like everything about Harry Potter that's in Harry Potter. I like in this movie, but it was completely kind of boring other than the scenes with Alan Rickman and Daniel Radcliffe. Those were great. Mm -hmm. And the rest of it, I was just not in it. I was just like, eh, and then when it ended, it's a great ending. But then to me, it came across as, okay, even from like a book, I've never read the book, but like from a storytelling perspective of like where things need to happen in the story, someone decided, okay, this needs to be a story where we introduce the Half-Blood Prince, you find out it's Snape, and Snape kills Dumbledore. And so they had their ending, and then they just retroactively tried to make it a story to lead to this ending, when I think you could have put that ending anywhere else in the franchise Mm -hmm. and it would have worked 
and it just felt like a filler. This felt like the most filler Harry Potter movie to me. But with that being said, like I don't dislike the movie. I think it's a good movie. I think they're mm-hmm. all good. Excuse me. But yeah, no, to me, um, huge step down from Order of the Phoenix. Um, not the worst movie, but and it had a fantastic ending. I agree with you on all those things and those emotions and feelings. Mm-hmm. But it took a while to get to that point. And then even at how awesome the ending was, it didn't feel worth it for the whole experience to me personally. Yeah. And and it did the in this movie it happened again where it's like in previous movies it's like this is the truth. And then this movie came out and you watch it and you're like, actually this is the truth. This is mm-hmm. what's real. Yeah. And you find that out about Harry's dad because like everyone's like oh like your parents were fantastic we loved mm-hmm. them it's mm-hmm. a shame Voldemort yeah. killed him and then in this movie it's like no James Potter was a asshole mm-hmm. he he bullied Snape and it's like oh so maybe he's not this good guy mm-hmm. and then again with Snape he's kind of so far because again I haven't seen the last movie mm-hmm. so I don't know how any of the storylines end not saying anything about that um but it's just I Snape is the only character I can't figure out. He's good and then he's bad, but like yes, he killed Dumbledore, but at the same time when Bellatrix was about to kill Harry, he was like save him for the Dark Lord. And then he knocked him on his ass and it's like but what's going to happen? I will well, all I'll say and this isn't spoilery. is that he has a crush on Potter's mom. <laughs> all all I'll say and this isn't spoilery is the way they wrap... Because, like, they do, like, an endgame thing where they, like, wrap up each character's arc okay. in the finale. I'm glad they do that, then. And the way that they wrap up Snape's story is the most satisfying storytelling thing I might have ever experienced. I've heard like, he is the most popular character in this franchise. It is. Other than Harry Potter. It is amazing, the grand storytelling with that character, once the story is done. Because I don't know much about him, so that if if that's once the case, once it's done, but the thing is, it's one of those things where it's done, and then you go back and watch, and you're like, oh, because like the reason why in Harry Potter, because normally I don't like changing truths in movies, like, especially in sequels. Like I don't like, oh, you thought this, but actually this, mm-hmm. because normally you can tell that that wasn't the plan. Mm-hmm. But something about Harry Potter that I will give it is everything seems very meticulously planned out, like to the final detail. Like, everything about the story feels planned to the point where when you find out a new truth, you can go back with that new truth information, and it still works in the story. Hmm. Whereas a lot of the times in franchises, you can have knowledge go back, and it doesn't work, and you can tell, oh, that was kind of something they retconned or changed. Like, Rise of Skywalker. Like, if you go back and watch Force Awakens knowing that Rey is a Palpatine, it still doesn't make any sense. Right. (laughs) But, like, with Harry Potter... Now knowing that James Potter was a dick, if you go back and start from Harry Potter 1 and rewatch it, it works. Mm-hmm. Like, they do the filmmaking to where that's probably the case and they're lying to him. Yeah. And you kind of pick up on that more. And so that's why I think with this franchise, it handles it very well because it's able to do things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, we'll see. I mean, I'll give you my thoughts on Deathly Hallows Part 1 because right now I have, I've seen Deathly Hallows Part 1, but I'll save that for yeah. the next one. We'll do Part 1 and Part yeah, 2 yeah. next. Yeah. Which I might go back and watch part one again, mm. and then directly watch part two. But wow, part one—that's all I'll say right we're, now. We're, we're getting into it. <laughs> we're getting into it because I have a very unpopular opinion about part one. But uh, but yeah, go ahead and give me your grades for Goblet of Fire, Order of the Phoenix, and Half Blood Prince. So Goblet of Fire, and 
Order Phoenix both get three and a half stars. Okay. Half Blood Prince gets four and a half, the highest rated so far. <laughs> I f- th- six movies in, and that is the first movie to hook me. Like wow. that, as soon as that movie ended, I was like, I have to finish this out. Yeah. And I immediately watched the next one, and then fell asleep after that movie ended. <laughs> but um, that six movies in, and it finally hooked me. Um, my grades. Yep. Goblet of Fire gets an A. Okay. Order of the Phoenix gets an A plus. Okay. Hapla Prince gets an A minus. Okay, so still an A. Mm-hmm. But like one and two were B pluses, and then this one's an A minus. So it's like I said, it's a really good movie. I enjoy it. But yeah. just like compared to the other, like it's not Order of the Phoenix. It's not Prisoner of Azkaban. It, to me, it's not even Goblet of Fire good. Hmm. So. Because even like Order of Phoenix, I kind of found boring at times. I think you're whack whack jeez i don't know if it like if it took me six movies to get into a franchise when there's eight movies in the franchise whack something wrong's happening whack (laughs) that's all i can say yeah it took me six movies before i was like holy (laughs) shit i'm in this franchise like i'm ready yeah but uh i i'm curious once the story's over and you see how it ends how you'll retroactively think about the rest of them because that'll Mm -hmm. happen when you nail the ending and they 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 nail the ending to this it was end game before end game. It was end game before end game, but uh, but now now we're going to move on to the next section of our show, which is called movie hot takes. And what what that is is Ryan and I each give a hot take on something in the entertainment world, and we defend our point, and you know even if it's unpopular. So Ryan, I'm going to let you go first. What hot take do you have for the table for us today? Yeah. So if a movie comes out and is well loved both financially and by the audience, you can assume that there's going to be a sequel. Just because a movie is financially successful and is well-received by the audience and critics alike, you don't have to make a sequel. You can leave it there. And that's my hot take. Now, we live in an era right now, which I'm not really going to complain about it too much because we've seen some great sequels come out. Mm -hmm. But we live in an era right now where a lot of people will claim Hollywood's not original, which is... You'll see that argument with uh, sequels coming out now. With like most famously Blade Runner twenty forty nine, the original one came out in the eighties. There was no plan to make another one because it bombed, and it took forever for it to become like a classic. And you know, people actually mm-hmm. appreciate that film so much so that a filmmaker felt like that story wasn't finished. Like he had to tell that story, mm-hmm. which I think is the correct way to make a sequel. You shouldn't mm-hmm. make a sequel if it makes money. If the first movie makes money. Um, in Star Wars, it just happened to work out that way that each yeah. movie as it went was better than the last. Mm-hmm. But I think a sequel should only be made if there is a story to tell, if there is a proper way to go about it. Mm-hmm. Because then you're doing right by the story. You're doing right by the movie, by the characters, by that mm-hmm. world. But if you're doing it just to capitalize on the fact that the first one made money, it's not going to turn out well and you may get lucky and it may turn out well yeah so like um a recent example a movie that i like if they made a sequel i'd go just because that's who i am yeah of i'll course. see any movie but a movie that i hope that they don't make a sequel just because it's successful was joker mm-hmm. i think that story is done you could make a sequel because it made a lot of money yeah. but when they made that movie that was not the plan Mm-hmm. They wanted to make one movie. And you see that with a lot of movies. You see that mm-hmm. uh, we don't really have a sequel planned. Yeah. And then the sequel will come out and it feels almost forced. Yeah. Like 
Jumanji, and, for example, that movie ended and they couldn't have made another Jumanji and I'd be yeah. fine because the first Jumanji yeah. movie was fun as hell. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, Welcome to the Jungle was the yeah. second one, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Uh, and then that one came out and it felt forced. That movie felt forced because the executives were like, hey, the first one made kind of money. Like, let's let's make a second one. Mm-hmm. And I just, I cannot get behind that. Mm-hmm. I gotcha. No, no, I I see what you mean. Um, From a business perspective, perspective obviously green lighting sequels is going to be a thing but mm-hmm. from a storytelling perspective i think that i like the idea of having a multi-film story mm-hmm. as long as you can deliver on that first movie yeah because if you don't deliver on the first movie then there was no point in having them like the multiple mm-hmm. stories and i think that a great filmmaker is able to have a big story with little stories and can wrap the little stories in a way to where you don't need the other stories mm-hmm. but they can help add on to it kind of like um, the Matrix. You didn't need the Matrix two and three, mm-hmm. but after Matrix two, you needed Matrix three. And I don't like those movies, just ironically. But then there are movies that do that in a good way, like mm-hmm. Star Wars. You could have made Star Wars, not made Empire Strikes Back. They did, but you can't have Empire Strikes Back without Return of the Jedi. Luckily, it worked out for them, and both are good. Mm-hmm. But had Empire Strikes Back been fucking horrible and bombed at the box office, then they're in a pickle because like that story isn't over. Yeah. And how many movies have you seen where like? they've teased the sequel and it never happened. Mm-hmm. Like Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer. Remember, he was alive during the credits. It's like, oh, that's never going to get finished. Yeah. You know, there are so many, you know, sequel baity things that have happened where they don't get finished out because they were more concerned about building the world for the next one than focusing on the movie they were making. Mm-hmm. So I, I fully see what you mean, how no sequel should be made because of a financial reason. Or like, just because a movie is successful or popular doesn't mean that you have to make a sequel right away from a right. creative standpoint. I, I agree with you on that. Yeah. What about you? What What's your hot take that you want to bring to the table? My hot take is that um, no one should be afraid of remakes. Okay. So, okay. And this is something that I have changed on because when I, when I was like 13 14 really into movies you, know, you talk to adults about movies and something that you hear constantly is like god I, I hate remakes all remakes are bad and um you know if they if they if a movie remakes it completely just tarnishes the legacy of the original movie blah 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 blah, blah. to an extent sure but let me ind- indulge me for a second yes movie comes out movie is great 25 years later They remake said movie. New movie is also great. Now, there's two great movies. Mm -hmm. Scenario two. Movie comes out. Movie is great. 25 years later, remake. Remake is horrible. Nothing happened to this original movie. You can go watch it at any point whenever you want. It doesn't erase itself from existence. Mm -hmm. So there's no fear in remakes because either you get another great movie out of it or you can just ignore it and go back to the original one. Mm-hmm. And studies have shown that when a movie is remade, rents and purchases, especially on in the online world, of the original go up. So if, you, if, some, if it's a movie you like, more people are going to see it for the first time because mm-hmm. it's being remade. And I like remakes of bad movies. Like, I want to see more remakes of, like, a movie that didn't quite work. But with a cool concept. But with a cool concept, and they're able to capitalize it and make it better. Mm-hmm. Or even in just even if it wasn't bad, but they just change what it is. Mm-hmm. Like Twenty One Jump Street was like a soap opera drama TV show, and then Lord Miller come in and make it this hilarious comedy with Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill, and it's fucking hilarious. Mm-hmm. I like things like that. Um, sometimes you have great remakes on either side. Like John Carpenter's The Thing is a remake. Al Pacino Scarface is a remake. Like there are great remakes out there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's some, like, Jeff Goldblum's The Fly is a great remake. And the original 1950s Fly is also great. 
two great movies. Each yeah. of the Invasion of the Body Snatchers that you said, you, all the ones you've seen, you've liked, right? Yeah, there's two that I've seen, the 50s one and the 70s one. Both are great. There were two more remakes that suck, but I like those two. Mm-hmm. But guess what? I could ignore those other two. The Psycho remake is fucking horrible. But guess what? I just pretend it's not there, and I go watch the original Psycho because it's still a fucking fantastic movie. Nothing yeah. happened to the original Psycho. And you know? that that could also be said to, like, sequels. Yeah. Like, um, I know a lot of people just can't stand Iron Man 3, and they're like, oh, this movie ruined Iron Man. Iron Man 3 is fucking good. I'll fight with them any day. But I mean, go ahead. <laughs> but you could just be like, well, Iron Man 1 is still there. It doesn't do anything against yeah. that. Iron Man 2 is still there. It doesn't do anything against that. Like, yeah. there's... I, I know that, that kind of, like, tie that idea ties into, like, yeah. sequels for movies as well yeah and like well, pe- people for some reason are so obsessed with things being canon or what's canonical mm-hmm. and what i think people need to realize is you can just appreciate whatever you want and whatever you don't want mm-hmm. like people are so obsessed with the idea of oh if something's good then it must be canon or if something is bad then it's not canon mm-hmm. it's like well then just if you like it watch it if you don't like it don't, don't consider it official to yourself like yeah. like don't hold things to an official standard for everyone. Just kind of have your own opinions on something. Yeah, and like, if you like, like, that's, yeah. like for example, if you don't like the prequels, but you love all the other Star Wars movies, just pretend they don't exist. Like, yeah, it, or just don't watch them. Yeah, because then it won't have any relevance to the other six movies that you may watch. Yeah, like it. It. Yeah. So I I, I agree with what you said. Like a hundred percent, I agree with you. Because like. Even, like, when I was, like, 16, 17, I was against the idea of remakes. And par- part of it is because, like, everyone, I'm a Nolan fanboy. And a few years ago, they announced that they're going to remake Memento. And, man, let me tell you, my Facebook heard about it. I was pissed off. Mm-hmm. But then as time went by and as my opinion changed on that, I think that remake is no longer happening. Mm-hmm. But if they remade Memento, I'd go see it. I'd be like, let's see what some different filmmaker ta- t- take on this, you know? And I think some things can't be remade. Yeah. It, like, like, let's take Jaws, for example. Yeah. That movie can never be remade. I mean, I, I don't want to say never because you never know. But, yeah. like, thinking about Jaws, that movie cannot be made into a better movie. It could be made into a different movie, sure. Yeah. But if a studio was like, hey, let's remake Jaws because I think we can make it better. I I don't think... I, I think some movies like that are untouchable. Well, it also depends on, you know, there are certain, like, era-defining movies that people don't want to remake and don't want to touch just because that's, like, precious to them. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean the movie can't be remade. Like, if they... Re- Jaws is my all-time favorite movie. If they remade it, I'd go watch it. Maybe I hate it. Maybe I'd love it. But I'd go see it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's possible. It probably wouldn't feel as magical because they probably do a full CGI ocean, CGI shark, all that. But maybe it's a great movie. And then we have two great Jaws movies. Yeah. But with that being said... I don't know a single filmmaker who would want to remake Jaws Mm -hmm. just because to them, that movie is just special to them and they don't need the remake to increase to how special it is. So then do you think, do you think some movies are untouchable or do you think anything can be remade? I I think anything can be remade. Whether better or worse. Yeah. It's just up to the person. Okay. And it's, it's up to the audience as well. Cause like, a lot of remakes don't happen because they announce it and then people are just pissed because they don't kind of understand that the, nothing happens to the original, yeah. you know. Like they could remake Star Wars. I I wouldn't, but maybe some person out there is like, yo, I have this rad idea to just. They actually p- did. P- it's called Last Jedi. Oh my fucking god. We're not, we're not we're not gonna we're not gonna argue about this today. We're not gonna argue about this today. We should just do a whole episode on Star Wars. That'd be so great. Oh god. But uh, 
Um, but like if I don't know why someone would want to remake Star Wars, but maybe someone has a great idea to just start from scratch and remake Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's great. Maybe it's not. Maybe it completely sucks, but nothing happens to Star Wars. Star Wars is still there. Yeah. You know, you still have you, you can still go back and watch it, yeah. which is why you should buy physical media. So you <laughs> always have it. So things don't get taken off social like streaming services. But I that's do. just my PSA. I'm also a fan of physical media. But um, also... You know, and it's proven that audiences can buy onto different iterations. Like, how many people have played Batman? How many people have played James Bond? How mm-hmm. many people have, you know... Played Jason just, Bourne. Yeah, Jason Bourne. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Poor Jeremy Renner. Poor... The guy can't catch a break. He can't. No. <sighs> Sorry, now I'm just sad. <laughs> no, but, uh, like, how many people played Spider-Man? You know, like, just... Mm-hmm. Audiences can accept new things and rebooted things. You just have to give it a shot. And if it increase, like for example, like I said, Jaws is my all-time favorite movie. If they remade Jaws and suddenly Jaws was number one on Netflix because people wanted to go back and watch it who have never seen it, that would make my day. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, yeah, you know, I, I don't think people should be afraid of remakes. Now, I think that, like you said, sequels and remakes can be made for the wrong reasons. They can be made just for strictly trying to capitalize on something, mm-hmm. which. Every movie is just trying to capitalize on something. That they're in the money-making making business. Yeah. But some are have that more of an intention than others. Right. And I think that you can remake a movie for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. But I think if someone has a genuine story based off previous material... Because like to me, I, I go to watch films most sometimes for the director. It's so like, for example, if uh, Steven Spielberg wanted to remake Superman, like make his own version of Superman... Not only am I going because I like Superman, I want to see what Steven Spielberg does with Superman. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, I, I want to see what filmmakers want to do with a certain material. Like, for example, I've never seen the original Westworld movie. Mm-hmm. I heard it's very different from the show. But it was people who were a fan of that movie and decided, if I was in charge of that, I'd make it like this. And you know what? It might be better. And some people's ideas and, and visions made, based off the original IP yeah. is very cool. You're, like, going, you're going for their vision of that source material, mm-hmm. their adaptation. And sometimes it can turn out to be really fascinating. Yeah, let me look this up. Because this is a story we talked about before. Mm-hmm. I think it's Scott Derrickson doing the second Labyrinth movie. Yes, it is. Okay. The first Labyrinth movie, I love that movie. I think it is fun as hell. It's very cheesy, very 80s. I would classify that as like an untouchable because like it has that nostalgic feel to it. Okay. I am going to watch it because I want to see what Scott Derrickson does with the labyrinth. Yeah. I want to see what his vision is for mm-hmm. that world and what that sequel is going to look like because it is Scott Derrickson. And I absolutely love the way he makes films. And going back to Blade Runner 2049, mm-hmm. when I like first heard like, oh, they're going to make a sequel to Blade Runner, I was like, eh, I don't know. And then like Denis Villeneuve is going to do it. And I was like, Okay, I'll go watch Blade Runner 2, yeah. you know, and then that's what also helped me kind of change my mind on all of this. Mm-hmm. It's like you shouldn't be afraid of new things, especially remakes, because nothing happens. Now, if every time they read it, if, if every time they remade a movie, they f- tracked down every copy of the original and burned it, that'd be a problem. <laughs> but like... Disney. It's not, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> it's not going anywhere, you know? Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, that's my hot take is you shouldn't be afraid of remakes because nothing happens to the original. And sometimes you can get another great movie out of it. Which, honestly, I feel is very unpopular because just any, like, no, when most, you check most online. Most people I talk to, when I mention, like, oh, like, you can, you can remake anything, they just, like, <gasps> they, speak, they look at me like I'm being blasphemous. Mm-hmm. And it's like, 
It's true, though. <laughs> yeah. You can remake it, whether it'll be good or bad. Yeah. That's based on the end product. Yeah. But you can remake anything. We, mm-hmm. we could make our own home video of Jaws. I'm just looking at your fish tank right now. I mean, we could make a home video of Jaws, and yeah. we remade it. Yeah. It's probably going to look like dog yeah, shit, It's going to be awful. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, I, I think anything can be remade with an asterisk that some things are untouchable that you can't capture that same feel like jaws you couldn't capture that same feel if you remade um pulp fiction i don't see how you could do that with that same feel that same spirit um i just i think some like labyrinth it just something about that feels nostalgic unless Mm -hmm. they make it with that same spirit in mind so i agree with you with an asterisk that you won't be able to capture the same spirit okay fair 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 um unfortunately there's not going to be a classic movie review on today's show just with scheduling it just didn't quite work out this time but we will have one for you next week um i think that's all we have planned for today's show yeah uh, was there anything else that you wanted to add on top of anything we said yeah just stay safe while you're out there and if you know we all do our part then we can go watch movies and movie theaters again because i know that's for the uh, love of god <laughs> that's what we miss and hopefully all of you guys miss as well yeah um but yeah so just stay updated with us and what we're doing uh we post what feels like every day on youtube but um weekly three on, times a week yeah three times a week but the podcast is out uh weekly mm-hmm. so go ahead and check us out on youtube if you are listening to us on soundcloud or any uh podcast yep. and if you're listening to us on youtube and you prefer to listen to us in a car or just audio only we're on you know apple podcast spotify soundcloud any of the major any of like, the major podcasting ones. Yeah, you can yeah. find us on there um, but also make sure to follow us on social media. Facebook, it's Movie Nights. And Instagram and Twitter, it is Knights underscore movie. Yes. So thank you guys very much for watching. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>